Hello and welcome to our latest Beyond Brexit podcast. I'm Emily Kahn. Today we're revisiting one of the big questions, how will Brexit impact the UK economy? I'm joined once again by two of our senior economists, Mike Jakeman, who works on our UK Economic Outlook series, and Barrett Capellian, who's been working on economic impact analysis for our own Brexit preparations, as well as for our clients. Mike, I'd like to come to you first, if I may. When we were last together on this series in January, the main assumption behind your projections was a reasonably smooth exit in March and a projection of 1.6% GDP growth in 2019. Now, events have obviously moved on a bit since then. So take us through what your main scenario is at this point in time. Hi, Emily. Nice to, to talk to you again. Yeah, January seems like a very long time ago. And Doesn't indeed, it? so much has happened since then. Um, I think the best way of thinking about how Brexit's affected the UK economy so far this year um, is that we actually had a relatively good first quarter okay. for the economy. Um, so household spending held up as it has done ever since the referendum. Yeah. Um, people are continuing to spend money, probably in the absence of really knowing what else, is gonna, what else there is to do. Um, but what we saw is that business investment, which has been where Brexit's really hit the economy so far, yeah. actually did quite well for the first time in, in a year or okay. so. And, but the reasons for that aren't necessarily all that great. Um, it's that businesses saw this March 29th deadline for Brexit and, and stepped up their no-deal planning. Right, uh, so yeah. we saw a, a, good, a good quarter for the manufacturing uh, industry uh, and a lot of imports as well. Those two things together meant that businesses spent a lot of money preparing themselves for what they would do if there was a sudden no-deal Brexit on March 29th. Absolutely. And that would chime with what I was seeing and hearing around that time about people looking at stockpiling as one of their priority contingency actions. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, the stockpiling component was unusually large for this quarter as well. Yeah. So that combined meant we, we got a good first quarter. But the trouble is that's not sustainable um, right. because they did this preparations. In the end, they didn't really need them because okay. you know, we had the extension. Um, and now we're expecting to see business investment continuing to fall again, resuming its kind of previous trend for the, the second and third quarters and, and sort of onwards until we get some more clarity. Right. So that 1.6% I mentioned then in, in the intro, have you, have you moved away from that at all? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to come down. I think anything between sort of 1.2 to 1.4 is probably more, more right. appropriate. We'll, okay. we'll find out more in, in a couple of weeks when we get an idea of whether uh, household spending, which is the thing that really drives the economy, whether households have remained resilient you know, in the second quarter as well. Uh, they have done so far. It's possible we've seen retail sales possibly soften a little bit in recent months. Um, that'll be a really key uh, data point. But our expectation is that growth is going to be pretty slow again this year and, and probably below 1.4. Okay. And is that still based on the assumption of a smooth exit by the UK from the EU in October or some point thereafter? Yes. Our, our base case is still that there will be a Brexit agreement. Now, the, it would be a very brave economist to, to tell you, uh, or perhaps a very naive one, to know exactly when that's going to Quite. occur. <laughs> um, but these, this assumption is, is, is still uh, predicated on the UK leaving the EU with a deal either in October or next year. Right, okay. And we talked before about you know, the alternative scenarios, so that a higher growth type scenario and a lower growth type scenario. Has anything changed in either of those or do you still see you know, the range of possibilities being broadly similar? Um, I would say that the, the, the possibilities for uh, higher growth uh, now look a little bit more far-fetched than they did in January. Uh, right. That's not just because of uh, the UK's performance, but also about the global economy as a whole. Uh, we've seen that the, the trade conflict between the US and China has uh, deepened and been more prolonged. The prospects of that being uh, ended now seem quite remote mm. um, for political and economic reasons. Um, and we've seen a, a, a period where the the European economy 
uh, from growing above trend in 2016 and 2017, having a bad 2018, and now sort of settling back to where it was before, which is growth of around sort of one and a half or two percent a year. It's, it's, the global economy is a bit cooler than it was a year ago. Right, so that okay. again makes the prospects of a faster growth scenario in the UK driven by exports, for example, uh, a bit more remote. Um, low growth? Yeah, it's the million dollar question. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 pro the prospect of the, the UK doing sig significantly worse than we're expecting is, of course, very closely linked to, to no deal. We think a no deal outcome would be uh, bad for the UK economy. We've been saying that for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, so if the, the prospects of uh, political failure and, and no deal rise, then so does the prospect of a, a worse outcome for the UK economy. Okay. I, um, one of the things I took away from our conversation in January um, that you've reminded me of again there is the fact that Brexit isn't the only show in town in terms of kind of economic projections and remembering that there are bigger trends around the world that also have real implications for us here in the UK. So we did used to talk about things other than Brexit. We did. Yeah. I mean, I Over can't those remember those days. times. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to go back to the point you made around preparations in the run-up to March because we've been thinking about it within the Beyond Brexit team, um, how we move away from looking at Brexit as a, as a one-off point in time phenomenon to the prevailing backdrop. So we've been using a phrase Brexit as usual because this uncertainty that, that businesses are operating within at the moment isn't even going to end if, if we get a deal or no deal kind of resolution on which scenario is in play. There's then a prolonged period of uncertainty as that scenario plays out. How does that um, impact on your economic projections? Is that replicated in, in your forecasts? I think this is a really valid point because you know, all the agreement gets us to is then the next stage in the negotiations towards a, a free trade agreement. Um, you know, this is, isn't the end of Brexit. It's a you know, it's going to be a multi-year process mm -hmm. at best and, and, and could end up being a much longer one. So the, the key question for us when we look at particularly business investment, which is the, you know, the area where we've seen uh, the strongest impact from Brexit, is to what extent is the investment that hasn't taken place uh, over the last year or so, to what extent is that being deferred or cancelled altogether? Um, yeah. So you know, if we got uh, a deal through and some initial momentum on the possibility of, 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 of a free trade agreement and things you know, became much more positive. To what extent would businesses who haven't made those investments decide that the UK is still the right place to, to make them? Um, that's a, a, a very big question that uh, I don't have a, a single concise answer to. Um, you know, it depends very much on a, on a sector basis, it depends on prospects elsewhere in the global economy, um, and it depends also on the level of political debate as well. I mean, the, one of the UK's strongest advantages as a uh, as a destination for investment has been a very stable political environment. Mm. Um, and the longer this Brexit as usual phase goes on, uh, or the, the Brexit limbo or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, the greater the risk is that some you know, significant damage is done to uh, the UK's uh, reputation for uh, as a stable place to do business. Okay. And what does that mean for kind of our global standing? So where are we in the, the overall global picture and global economy at the moment? One of the tragedies of Brexit so far is that the UK has grown quite slowly and well below its potential rate at a time when the global economy has been doing quite well. Uh, we've seen in the last, uh, particularly since 2016, um, the global economy's grown in a more synchronised uh, and faster rate than at any point since the global financial crisis. So this was really was a time when the UK could have cashed in, if you like, on the yeah. fact that lots of its neighbours had greater export demand, etc. But it hasn't quite happened, you know, and we've, we've, the, the economy's grown at you know, one and a half percent for the last uh, three years or so at a time when the global economy is much more vital. 
Um, so it's it, it's disappointing that this has occurred at a time when there were genuine opportunities to be to be seized for the UK. Um, we, if there is a league table of you know, the largest economies in the world, um, and one of our predictions we made at the beginning of this year is that the UK would slip in that from fifth to seventh. Uh, the countries that would overtake it would be India, which yeah. uh, is a permanent transition, you would imagine, uh, given the amount of catch-up growth in India, and also France. Right. Okay. Now, the UK and France have swapped uh, I was going to say, some great rivalry there. Over, uh, yes, many times, and will continue to do so. This is based on uh, both exchange rate movements and, and economic growth, and, and we think France will have a better year uh, in both of those aspects. Um, but you know, there is plenty of potential for the UK to, to take that sixth place back uh, over the next decade or so. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Um, Barra, I'd like to bring you in now, if I may. How does everything that Mike's just been talking about chime with what you're hearing from clients who are planning for these different scenarios? Well, Emily, I think for businesses, it's what, what's really changed is, is the type of uncertainty that they're facing. So, you know, in the first few quarters after the referendum, uncertainty levels were running high, but they were centered uh, around the nature of the deal that the UK would strike with the EU. And, and the classic question back then was, is it going to be a soft Brexit or a hard Brexit? But now we're three years down the line since the referendum. Uncertainty levels still remain high, but it's the type of uncertainty that's changed, particularly in the, in the last six to 12 months. So let me just break that down. I think the first source of uncertainty now that the businesses are facing is, first of all, whether a deal will be struck with the EU or not. Now, right after the referendum, I think it's fair to say that was a remote possibility, but that has now changed. The second question is, is more about the future relationship between the EU and the UK. So that's more the hard versus soft Brexit um, um, sort of uncertainty. But the third one is also, you know, businesses now have to start considering about the domestic political angle. So what different forms of Brexit could mean uh, for Scotland and Northern Ireland, for example, yeah. uh, which they wasn't, I think, one of the issues that the businesses were, t were thinking right after the referendum. And then finally, I think there's an international context here as well one needs to consider, particularly for businesses who've got exposures in different economies. And the one thing now they have to deal with is uh, tariffs, particularly with the US and China and the sort of tensions between those two economies. And you know, some businesses have had to start figuring out ways to change, modify, or tweak their supply chains much faster than they originally thought. So all in all, I think if you, if you think of the job description of CEOs and strategy directors uh, pre and post the referendum, I think that's changed quite significantly from sort of carrying out a more vanilla type of function, you know, leading an organization, ensuring costs are contained and revenues grow so that your bottom line grows, to a much more defensive function where CEOs and strategy directors make sure that their organization is prepared to be operationally viable under different states of the world. Yeah, um, I absolutely recognize what, what you were just saying there. There's one other uncertainty I'd add to your list actually that I, I'm picking up on is the timing of it all. So those are all big questions, but we also don't know when any of those different states will come into effect. Um, I'm not sure many of us were expecting uh, the flex tension when we were modeling scenarios even a year ago. And certainly there's a big question over whether or not there will be a further extension in October that I know is troubling, troubling many of the clients that I speak to. Um, you picked up on there 
you know, the supply chain, which obviously is relevant to a lot of sectors. Are there any sectors that really stand out from the conversations you're having of where this is being felt more keenly than others? Well, I think if you look at the UK economy and look at the sort of two main production side sectors, so services and manufacturing, I think manufacturing, if we just focus on that for a second, um, you know, it's done relatively well. Um, and I think that's driven by the fact that we export quite a lot of our manufactured goods and the cheaper sterling has helped. Um, you know, that effect is sort of dissipating now. Um, and if you look at sort of some of the surveys, the forward-looking surveys for the sector, they are looking more gloomy than in the past. But manufacturing is about 20% of the UK economy. What really matters is services. Now, the picture there is, is sort of much more nuanced, particularly when you start sort of zooming into the services sector. So some subsectors that haven't done relatively well is, for example, financial services. And that sort of sentiment is reflected in you know, our PDWC-CBI survey we, we carry out every quarter, where banks seem to be less confident about how their customers will react to potential Brexit developments, yeah. but they're more confident about how they will themselves react to Brexit. But then on the, on the sort of positive side, you know, other subsectors have been doing well. Stuff like uh, motion pictures, for example, has been doing well because people are staying home and watching their streaming services. Um, other big sectors that have been doing well is technology, um, information technology, I should say. Um, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. The, the obvious one is Brexit and the fact that you know, our clients want advice about what Brexit means for them and how they could mitigate those risks. But I think you know, the, the second point is that the business agenda is moving on. So digitalization, for example, is happening irrespective of Brexit, and clients need help on that. And that seems to be a sector agnostic sort of issue. So it's, it's, the, it's the case in retail, finance, manufacturing, or even in government where, I mean, personally, I've been working on a, on a digital transformation project in the Middle East for the, for the past three months. So digitalization is spearing ahead. Right, okay, brilliant. Um, Mike, you talked about the pattern on investment, and I'd be interested about in your your take on some of the factors behind businesses making investment decisions and, and how that uncertainty is playing out at, at a very client by client level of making a decision whether to invest in the UK or not. What are you seeing? So I think the first um, sort of victim of, of Brexit has been business investment in the UK. And the typical comparison we economists carry out is uh, we sort of compare business investment levels in the UK against its major competitors, the G7 economies. And if you look at how that's been evolving uh, ever since the referendum, so on average, um, all of the G7 economies except the UK, excluding the UK, they have been growing their business investment levels over time. Whereas in the UK, it's sort of stayed relatively stable and now for the past four quarters, it's, it's on a slight decrease. So you can clearly see the effect of uncertainty on business investment. But the interesting thing is actually when you sort of zoom in to the business investment levels and see how that composition of business investment has changed. So in the UK, for example, you'll find that businesses have been cutting spending uh, on transport equipment, that's lorries and vans, and on ICT spending. But they've been increasing their spending on building and warehouses. And I think that's where Mike's point comes around, you know, the stock building that we saw. Um, in the first quarter in the UK economy, and that's sort of being recorded as a, as a business investment input. But clearly that's not big enough to sort of offset the, the overall general negative decline okay. of business investment. 
Um, picking up on, on the point you make there about kind of stockpiling and business readiness, I know one of the things that you and I often talk about is the data, what the data is telling us about business readiness more generally. Has there been any, any change in the kind of the data that we can see about preparations and, and who's ready and who's not and the general state? So, um, I mean, usually w what happens in these sorts of cases is um, the Bank of England, for example, might go out and through its business agent net network carry out a survey and assess businesses' preparedness for, for Brexit. And they did exactly that in their latest May inflation report. Now, there's a couple of interesting, or a few interesting trends uh, they found. Uh, well, first of all, three quarters of the business who responded to the survey did some sort of contingency planning for Brexit, uh, or they are in the process of developing one. So that's one clear picture that emerges. Uh, the other um, uh, sort of quarter of businesses said that they were not making contingency plans. Now, of those um, businesses that are not making contingency plans, 50% said they were not affected by Brexit. A third said they were waiting for more information and clarity until you know, they, they sort of decide when to carry out Brexit. Now, uh, the other point as well is, is the, the complication, I think, is the clarity as to the timing of when uh, Brexit will happen. And you know, we, we've sort of seen it come through the economic data, through inventory accumulation in the first quarter of the year. And you know, if we expect Brexit to actually materialize in the, uh, at the end of October, then we might see that sort of accumulation of inventory yet again, yeah. um, which is sort of a manifestation of all these uh, contingency plans. One of the points that quite often comes up in conversations um, that I have with clients is kind of not overlooking that stock that was appropriate and relevant for the end of March won't necessarily be appropriate and relevant for the end of October. You know, particularly noticeable in retail that are preparing for Christmas at that point in the year as well. Um, so that's not as as simple as maybe the data alludes to. Um, and Andrew Gray, actually, you may, I don't know whether you'd picked up on this, I'm, I'm sure you probably have mentioned the other day, or reminded me that the 31st of October is a Thursday, whereas the 29th of March is a Friday, which particularly in financial services, you know, Friday, end of a period, you've got two days then before trading on the Monday, whereas the 31st of October, the next trading day will be the very next day. So, yeah, some of that activity, you know, we might see, as you say, an increased focus in, in the run-up. Yeah, we could we could easily see another uh, bump in. In fact, you'd you'd want to see another bump in business investment in in no deal preparations. Should we get that far by third of October? It's in a little bit reassuring to see that this is actually materialising into something because, you know, having a contingency plan for Brexit feels like a fairly low bar to have to clear. Um, you know, we still don't know, of course, how effective any of those plans you know are going to be. We may never know. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see what again what happens again in, in October. Yeah. Question I'd like to, to put to you both actually um, is around the labour market, and I know we talked about this when we last spoke in January. But a, a few different data sources about this being of most pressing importance for clients, not least our own global CEO survey, where access to skills was one of the concerns the world over mm -hmm. of CEOs, and, and we talked about you know the the increasingly tight labour market in the UK back in January. How have we seen those trends unfold since then? Largely, as you would expect, um, the UK still has very low unemployment. Uh, the number of jobs that have been created each month uh, has slowed ever so slightly. 
Um, and likewise, nominal wage growth has slowed down ever so slightly, okay. which you wouldn't necessarily expect. You might, as, as unemployment falls, you tend to expect wage growth to pick up because people become that much more scarce and therefore have greater bargaining power yeah. with their potential employers. Um, is that significant or is it just month to month noise in the data? It's a little bit early to tell. Um, if you're going to be very pessimistic, you would say that actually this is, because uh, this, uh, this sort of softening occurred at sort of exactly the same time as the potential no deal at the end of March, uh, and then continued in April. Uh, you'd say that this is evidence that firms are worried about Brexit and they're trying not to take on any additional costs at okay. all. Alternatively, it might be month to month noise. So it's, it's too soon to really have a, a firm view on that. I mean, all the kind of labour market trends that we've seen, labour markets tend to move in quite sort of long term cycles anyway. UK has relatively uh, low unemployment, high employment, decent wage growth. The labour market is still one of the strongest aspects of the UK economy. And um, if I've got another minute or two to explain this, one of the key uh, sort of interesting things to understand at the moment about how labour markets work is how come if you've got falling business investment, people are still being hired quite yeah. quickly? And there is no one answer to this, but my suspicion is that firms are saying, okay, well, if, if we need to expand, we can either do this through um, making a major capital investment into equipment or automation or um, something sort of expensive and long term, or we can simply hire some more people. Yeah. And although wage growth is a bit faster than it was uh, 18 months ago, it's still not especially quick in historic terms. So people are still relatively cheap. And I think that we've been able to sustain this rate of quite rapid hiring because it's cheaper to hire people than it is capital at the right, moment. Okay. Um, because of that sort of uncertainty around Brexit, firms are a bit less willing to commit to major expansions. So there are still lots of good things around the labour market in the UK, um, in spite of the sort of Brexit gloom. Um, but you know, the longer this limbo goes on, the more we start, we might start to see that sort of effect creeping into the labour market too. I can see you nodding at that, Barrett. Does that chime with what yeah, you're it, saying? It does, and, and you know, the, uh, one of the positive surprises, especially in the past five years in, in advanced economies, has precisely been this resurgence in, in employment rates or the decrease in the unemployment rate. So we've seen the same sort of story um, unfold in the US, uh, for example. Uh, you know, the, I think they have one of the lowest unemployment rates for about 40 years. And we've also seen it in some European economies uh, for different reasons, actually. In some of the peripheral European economies or Eurozone economies, it more has to do with the fact that some of uh, the wages were cut back uh, historic, well, during the financial crisis that they faced. And now labor is, is much cheaper compared to, to, to history. Uh, but then you've also got another trend developing whereby most of the Eastern sort of bloc that got admitted into the EU in 2004 mostly, so they're sort of um, reaping the benefits of the freedom of movement of businesses across the EU. Um, and, you know, they've got relatively cheaper labor forces compared to the Western European countries. So they're sort of taking advantage of that, of that gap. Okay. Guys, we are almost out of time here. Um, and we haven't had a Brexit myth buster in a while. So I hope you're going to indulge me. What Brexit, and I'll allow you to have economics myths. What Brexit economics myths would you like to bust for our listeners today? Let me go with the one that's been annoying me lately. Okay. Um, I don't know whether it's a myth or, or an annoyance, but it's the fascination um, with tariffs. You know, th th there seems to be this um, perce perception, is the word that was after, there seems to be this perception that the tariffs are the be and all in, in the trading system. But actually, um, 
it's, it's non-tariff barriers that really matter, particularly for the UK economy, which is the second largest services exporter in the world. Non-tariff barriers are much more important for advanced economies. Um, and for some reason, the debate seems to have shifted completely onto tariffs, which I think is potentially easier to understand, and it relates to, to sort of tangible goods. But what I think is, is equally important, or if not more important, is non-tariff barriers, and they need to be brought into the debate about Brexit. It's almost like you listened to our last podcast in this series, Barrett, which was all about non-tariff barriers for services. There you go. Mike, how about you? Well, that's, that's actually inspired me, because my sort of single biggest bugbear is, if we look on the, the global perspective, um, is when uh, journalists write up about China. So China is in the middle of a very, very long-term uh, slow down in the growth of its economy. Yeah. Um, 15 years ago it was growing by 15%, now it's growing by just over 6%. And every single quarter when you get a new data point, you'll get journalists writing about how China is growing at the slowest rate for 25 years, as if it's on the edge of a crisis. And that is a fundamental misunderstanding of how economies work. China is growing at the slowest rate in 25 years. Yes, that's true, but that doesn't matter because it's simply a more advanced, developed economy. Yeah. That's what they do. They slow down as they mature. Um, what matters is the change uh, in the, the rate of growth from one quarter to another. If China's suddenly growth rates fallen off a cliff, we all need to know about it. If it's merely slowing down at the very, uh, at exactly the rate that the government is desiring, then that's of no concern to anybody. Okay. Um, that's a particular pet peeve. So the next time we see some, some growth data on China, I guarantee you, uh, some ill-informed journalist will be talking about how it's uh, the slowest rate in X number of years. Okay, absolutely noted. Thank you very much. Um, right, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. I hope you've all found this economic special edition as interesting and useful as I have. And thank you, Mike and Barrett, for, for coming back. We look forward to having you maybe a third time later on in the year. Um, if you've enjoyed this, why not subscribe to our Economics and Business podcast? And remember to visit pwc.co.uk forward slash Brexit for our most up-to-date insights. Please do get in touch with any questions you might have. Bye for now. Thank you.